this is the Baller Alert Show podcast. Ah! What it do is me, OCT. You know it's all produced by me. What we got today, Sue? Well, unfortunately, our good brother, my mentor, Ferrari Simmons, cannot be here with us today. He is out handling some big boss business. Okay, but we do have another big boss in the building with us today. We have Jacob Miller. Hey, how are you? I'm I didn't know I was a big boss. You ain't got to be so formal. Let me give y'all a little history, okay? Jacob York is a man of many hats, to be honest. When I met him, I was a door girl at the club, and I just always saw him with celebrities and and movers and shakers, and he was always taken care of, and I just didn't understand what the hell Jacob York did, okay? But then I found out, okay, he's been very successful in the music industry. You've managed quite a few people. You had an interesting childhood. You know, it's public knowledge, stuff that your dad was involved in. And you actually were on the other side of it. Um, So it seems like you grew up an advocate for the right things. Yeah, I would say I've always been on the uh, an advocate for those who might have been exploited in any way, uh, abused in any way, taken advantage of anyway. So I, I guess it's growing up with a you know with with a my dad helped me to you know find my calling if that makes sense i know that baller nation is probably scratching their heads what we're talking about is jacob's father was a cult leader but jacob wasn't into all of that okay jacob actually spoke out against what his father may have been doing um which is i guess a part of why and and how it is that you're so successfully vocal about politics yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, the good and the bad of my dad is, you know, being an influential person at one point, he was a religious leader first. And then obviously, as he descended more and more into madness, he became a cult leader. Um, but what I learned, you know, from my mother and father then was how a lot about politics, because we would have like mayors and governors and local senators, you know, down to the house. And they would be buying for my dad's uh, approvals because he had a big following so that they can endorse whatever ticket. So we would have Mayor Dinkins at the time at the house. So we would have, you know, Ed Koch would come down to the house. Well, whoever it was that wanted my dad's voter block, because at the time he was a big Muslim leader, they would come to the house. So I was always amazed by the that ability that my family had to influence politics within the city. And that made me very interested mm-hmm. in understanding how that works because that was that the you know my dad was able to get away with what he got away with in georgia because he had influence over the democratic governor because of his power within georgia and his ability to change votes right and and, and, and drive votes to this governor this governor literally when his victims came at you know wrote to the gbi what was happening to them the governor told the gbi to back off because he had that much political influence wow in the state of georgia and so you, but I, that's the bad part of political influence. But again, my, my dad has always understood how to, you know, use his, his congregational and his hmm. million followers at the time to best suit his needs, you know? It's and crazy. One of them, you know, which is very interesting, yeah. It's crazy because they try to say that, you know, these things are separate and they're really not. They're not. That line is very blurred. Yeah, very extremely blurred. Like the power, the power does that be spend their entire time trying to convince those who are not in power that their votes don't count or their voices are not being heard or they don't matter. And what people don't understand, you know, the reason why you have 1% is because people are convincing you that if you step outside of your 99%, you, you, I mean, they convince you not to step outside of your 99%, right? And they don't want you to become part of the 1% because, you know, they have to share money with you. Mm. Um, because there's, there's, there's a finite amount of money floating around this world. So whoever's changing hands, right, it's going to change. It's like, so in other words, 
if this guy becomes worth a hundred billion, someone's feeling that crunch, right? (laughs) So at the end of the day, they want you to stay there. They want you to not involve yourself in politics, not to get involved in what, you know, they want you to stay where you are, you know, because you're a consumer base for them. So always remember that. And I'm not, I'm not into conspiracy theories. I'm just telling you, this is economics 101. Any educated person and anybody that's ever counted money understands that, you know, when you have to share it with 20 people, it's a lot less than when you share it with four people. Right. Right. So my dad understood that, but that also made me want to learn it. Right. And um, the weirdest thing on the, in the world is what made me care about civics more is I was on my way to Columbia University one day on the one train and a specific actor was on the on the train. I'm not going to say his name. Um, and he saw me reading the newspaper and he said, oh, what are you reading about? And I had been reading at the time about the political issues within New York politics. And he said, what do you So he asked me about civics. How much do you know about civics? And I said, I don't really know. I know what I learned in, you know, high school and some of what I've learned. He said, well, let me get, and he started the whole ride up to the Morningside campus. He educated me on, on civics in this country and changed me as a black man from the emotional part of the history of this country to literally understand the power structure. Right. And what, and, and that's who this man is. He's, he's a very famous white actor. I'll just say that. Okay. A, a white man taught you all this stuff. A white man made me open my eyes. Okay. He, he said, here's what you have to do. And he was a liberal. He said, you have to remove the emotions of history in America mm. and understand what America's civics is, was about. Right? And he says, as a black man in America, most of us are caught in the emotions because we have dealt with the brash realities of America's darkness. Right? And what happens is we forget that it's good against evil or power, rich against poor. You know what I'm saying? And we get caught up in the emotional aspects of racism or, you know, and we forget that racism is a mechanism, right? It wasn't quite personal. It was designed to make money, right? So he changed my perspective on that and I removed the emotions for a second and those still hurts. And I started to study American history and I started to study the civics of America and I got really caught up in it. And I was lucky to have access to obviously the Columbia University Library with 9 million books. Um, and was just going through, and I was after that. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna do on my in my spare time. Is I'm just gonna, you know, try to help with civics and 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 and, and political discourse in America. And that's what I've done for you know maybe thirty years now. Quietly. Is it is it an emotional question when black people have to ask? Has Donald Trump done anything for black people? How how can that not be associated to any form of emotions? Uniquely enough, the reason why Trump is gone is because of emotions. Emotions can be used as a tool. So when we look at it like that, we could, okay, let's look at it. Let's look at slavery as a what it, as that that institution. A lot of black people don't want to understand that black people traditionally sold their enemies or their foes or the, the poor people to white people who dragged them here to this country. At the time, the country was a very poor country, right? What that means by, because there was no system. So they brought a bunch of people here to work for free to build an empire, right? Now, when we speak of it logically, it looks like a business decision, right? Cheap labor so that you can undercut the world's cotton market so you can become an empire. Sounds good that way. When you deal with it from the emotional perspective of being beaten, separated, you know, as black people are treated like mules, like commodities, the fit, that emotion is still there. 
right? So there's room for both if you're looking to control the narrative around politics, right? Because you have to get people emotional for them to get out and vote, right? Because we're, human beings are not at that point where they can just vote because it's logical. Most people vote because it's emotional to them, right? right. I feel fear of this, or I don't like this, or someone's gonna take this away from me. They don't really get that deep, right? So the question is, has Donald Trump done anything for black people? Yes, he has. Has he done the right thing for black people? No. So what does that mean? Every president that comes around gives money to the HBCUs. Every president. It's not abnormal. It's part the HBCUs is a, is a bargaining tool that's used, you know, to leverage, right? So that's done every president that comes around finds a way to do that. When they speak of criminal justice reform, there's two things. This is not a reform, mm. right? It was a first step act. Yes, uh, people of color and people in prison were let out of jail, right? A lot of them had a few weeks left. Some were over, uh, 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 their sentence was a bit overreached. Yes, that happened. But it happened with a, a Van Jones who worked on the same criminal justice reform under Obama's administration that the Republicans never passed, right? They waited until it was under Trump to pass it. Does that matter to us? Yes, because people got out of jail. Another thing we have to be careful about is Trump thinks that's only what, that ma what matters to us. Right. 98% of us are not criminals. And so mm. he turns around and he says, oh, I let, a thousand, I let 2,000 black people out of jail. Yeah, but we're not all in jail. You also turn right back around and co-sign police officers hurting black people five minutes mm -hmm. later. So again, do you think that we care about the fact that you let 2,000 black people out of jail who maybe 2% of them was probably innocent? as opposed to sending out a message to police that they can murder us at, at, at will. The, the contradiction in Trump's message is what causes people to say it's a sour pill. It's not what you did, it's who you did it for. Like, who did it, right? So again, with you, somebody could come to you and say, here's $1,000, you're gonna be like, well, what the hell does this motherfucker want? Right. And then someone else can come to you and say, here's $1,000, you're gonna be like, well, I know who that person is, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really who, right? Then they got these smart black people that come in and say, well, he did opportunities on. And I sit back and I go, what is that exactly, right? What is Opportunity Zone? Opportunity Zone is the largest gentrification program for black neighborhoods in the history of America. So is that a good thing? It started under Barack Obama to be able to create this Opportunity Zone concept, right? Trump passed it, but he passed it and it involved capital gains tax. So it gave corporations the ability to go into black neighborhoods and develop it and he, gave, he rewarded them by what? reducing their capital gains tax. And black people say, well, that helps us. Do you pay capital gains tax? How does that help you? So how does that help you? And so there is a misunderstanding in the behavior of Trump. It's not whether he passed Opportunity Zone. Opportunity Zone has been proven. If you look at uh, this, uh, uh, an, an article done by the president of um, Federal Reserve of Georgia, which shows that most people and that will be, most black people will not be able to afford the neighborhoods once this, this opportunity zone is created. Because most black people do not have capital gains tax. Capital gains tax comes from what? Stocks, it comes from specific things, selling physical things, you know, and being able to gain capital gains from that, right? And so at the end of the day, most of us, when it comes to our mortgages, well, it's costing us more to own housing. They prove that. It costs black people more to own housing, right? We're, we're, you know, we don't have enough ownership to have the capital gains tax to be able to be, you know, for the subsidies that would come from the federal government for opportunities. 
And so again, it's just gentrification. It says to these people, go into these black neighborhoods, right? Or these minority neighborhoods, and you get to rebuild it. It doesn't say anything in it, which both Barack Obama had in mind, that says you have to sell it a certain amount to them. You have to subsidize things for people in that neighborhood to be able to afford to buy those properties or participate in the opportunities. So unfortunately, these headlines are going out and that's what we're getting stuck on. We're looking at these headlines and we're saying, hey, this is what Trump is doing, but we're not taking the time to actually research what these things are and when they were really presented to us. Yes. The first people that started working on it was under Barack Obama, right? And it was part of the, he, he, he did it after he passed the Fair Housing Bill, right? Which said that people in the suburbs have to allow for low income housing to be purchased by people coming out of minority communities, which Trump three months ago overturned, right? And so your neighborhoods are safe. Once again, safe from who, right? Your suburbs are safe again, safe from who? Suburban women love me. I just got rid of the Negroes. Yep. Okay. And so when you sit back and look at that, when Obama was doing it, he was working on it so that it could become, our neighborhoods can be regentrified, right? And we would participate in the ability to purchase back our own neighborhoods, mm-hmm. right? Trump does it. There's no provision in this bill. It's just, if you have capital gains tax, you can stay. Mm-hmm. You, get, you get subsidies for development. If you don't, you get to move somewhere else. And so what you're seeing around this country is a taking back of these communities because we tend to live in urban areas which have larger value. Mm-hmm. Right. When you look at it and they come in and they regentrify the community and most of the people in the community cannot afford that community. And so they get pushed out and then the cycle of poverty continues. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, you can yell out a number or you can yell out a statement. But when you sit back and peel back the layers on that statement, the facts is, no, he didn't do anything good for us. No, he didn't. Right. Let's move to this administration. Um, President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. um, Trump has refused to concede at this point, and he's not being very successful in the lawsuits that he has created. But oh, 18, right? <laughs> right. It's like you you did all this for what, sir? Um, yeah. Georgia's still counting down. There's a Senate runoff that is coming up. What are your thoughts on all of this that's going on currently right now? The reality of the situation is Trump doesn't have a job, right? Trump truly believes believed that he would get reelected. No one around him tells him the truth because he's such a narcissistic asshole that they are afraid to tell him the realities on the ground. So it's one of those things where I can't tell their leader because if I tell him, he's going to fire me because he doesn't take bad news very well, right? And so he really thought he would get reelected. And now that he hasn't gotten reelected, he's first emotionally dealing with the fact that he cannot lose. So it's emotional. He's probably, he's tearing up the White House right now, right? The second part of it, he has to, he remove, he loses his presidential uh, and uh, immunity. He becomes a regular citizen again. Citizen Trump. He, you cannot indict a sitting, a sitting president of the United States. Come on. They will not allow it. So now he's citizen trust. He's got rape cases he's looking at. He's looking at indictments on tax evasion. He's looking at massive lawsuits. He's looking at... So he's freaking out. Going Another thing is, when he was a citizen, he was making $65 million a season on a, a year on Apprentice. Where's his money coming from right now? His, pro- his projects, his, a lot of his property is underperforming. He's got $900 million in loans due next year. Ooh. Do you understand that people are just like, uh, what are we going to do about this? 
And so you're dealing with a guy that's literally sitting there going, what the hell am I going to do? And his, the recourse is, but he is popular amongst the Republican base, right? He's got a solid 25 million, right? Regardless of the fact that 71 million that might've voted for him, that is irrelevant. The solid is 25 to 30 million people. And he can move that around. He, so he's trying to leverage that. Aside from the fact he's got about $400 million worth of debt from the last election that he has to call, you know, he has to pay off. And so he's raising money against this narrative right now so he can pay off his debt. He's trying to set up a, a super PAC for 2024. He's trying to figure out ways to back the Republican Party and pay off for this, this runoff. So they're working together to try to figure it out. And he wants to be able to sit in Florida with influence so he can have the Republicans protect him from these lawsuits or anything else. And so what you're dealing with is a guy that knows he lost. Don't think he doesn't think he lost. He knows he lost. I mean, Michigan is at like 100. He's, he's under by like 150,000 votes. Like what the, like what, I mean, Pennsylvania is down there 60,000. I need mean, Georgia's probably, you, we really stuck it to him, right? Let's just, we gave him a little 14 for the, for the that, y'all just, that just hurt his feelings. Like, y'all really did that? Like, we just did that for the GP. I mean, we see right. Arizona, John McCain's and, and the Native Americans and the Latina vote out there stuck it to him there. And so you're dealing with a man that is honestly, literally dealing in a reality that he did lose. But he needs to figure out how to protect himself. He has to figure out how he's going to make money. Right. And at the end of the day, he had a plan in his mind that said, I'm going to get four more years and my daughter's going to get the next four more four years, eight years. And he thought he was going to keep a, a lineage for a while in control of this presidency. So right now he's making a play to dominate the Republican Party. Right. To, to be, have all these people beholden to him. And what he's thinking is he's going to they're going to try to push these two dem, uh, these Republican senators into place in Georgia. The Republicans will have a majority to filibuster anything that comes through the Democratic bills, and they'll be able to negotiate on behalf of Trump. Because again, the Republicans still need him for their constituency to come out. Because regardless of what people said, very he, he did draw a shit ton of people on the day of the election came out. Absolutely. So his so his his that message is still sure. strong. You know, but he 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 knows he lost. But you know, right now he's he didn't he he woke up and was like, wait. I'm out of here. Right. You know what I'm saying? Wait, I really lost? He really thought his entire family was going to end up being president of the United States. President for 25, 30 years. He thought he had had, had a plan. He shit about Kamala saying that we're not going to have a female, not a female, especially not a female. But then you're going to turn around and and think your daughter was going to be the the first female president? Yes. And right now he's his. And then here's another thing. Nobody likes him. Nope. Or his family. So it's really like he doesn't really have allies, right? He doesn't have true allies. Everyone is beholden to him because he, you know, those guys are be- the Republican Party are beholden to him. So look at their message. They're not saying it's, aside from the Trumpians, the Republican pretty much, Mitch McConnell is saying every legal vote should count. That's all he's saying, right? They're not really saying Trump's. You know, because look at what's happened. You got a Republican senator that stood up, stood up recently and said, if Joe Biden is not given critical information he needs for transition when it comes to certain things, I'm going to step in Friday and I'm going to do something about it. Because at some point they're just like, listen, we know you lost and y'all not going to be too petty because America, ultimately America can't because they're blocking his uh, people are blocking world leaders from speaking to Joe Biden. They're not trying to transfer messages. Right. They're literally being petty. So at some point, the Republican Party knows that they put themselves in a, in a constitutional crisis. So and disgusting. America is really going to turn around and say, wait, what? 
trash. It's a balancing act. That's a middle school beef. Yes, like childish. It's really childish with this man. But I think, honestly, I think for the first time in 50, 60 years, I mean, 100 years, America's going to change certain laws and requirements for presidencies. I feel like they're going to adjust certain things. The Trump effect is going to change the way America, the the, the amendments are going to be to try to prevent this from happening again. Certain things will be preventable in the future because even Nixon didn't do this. Right. Okay, so legally, we don't need him to concede shit, no. right? You know, no, I'm just making no sure. he doesn't need it. Don't even do shit. If right. you know, on, on January 21st, if he if the if he if he's not gone by the 20th of January, they're gonna drag him kicking and screaming out of there. Mm-hmm. Just like they down. said, the federal government has a history and knowledge on how to deal with trespassers in the White House. They will legitimately physically remove him because he's once he's a citizen. He's not the president, so he no longer has immunity, and no one has to listen to him in that in the federal government anymore. So they will physically remove him, and it's gonna. So if he it, and I think he knows that. I, I believe before the year is out, he's gonna come with a way. If he once he raises enough money from his followers and his and, and his constituency, he's gonna. Well, I'm. I, I still won, but I'm leaving. We'll be right back with more of the Baller Alert Show. When your child fights sleep, it can feel like a battle you'll never win. Imagine a bedtime routine you all look forward to, where you cuddle in and let the stress of the day melt away. Welcome to Sleep Tight Stories, a calming weekly podcast that brings bedtime stories, cuddles, and comfort to families worldwide. The stories are quirky, relatable, and spark wonder without overstimulation so listeners can fall asleep and stay asleep. Each episode is narrated by me, Cheryl McLeod, a second-grade teacher, and written by my husband, Clark, an eternal second-grader at heart. Tune in tonight and bond over a story before drifting off to sleep. Make bedtime the sweetest part of your day. Sleep Tight Stories. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready. You know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. 
back to the Baller Alert Show, starring Octavia March, Ferrari Simmons, and Sue Solo. Baller Nation, we are talking with the one and only Jacob York. We're talking about the state of the election right now. Um, let's talk about these runoffs that's um, happening January 5th for Georgia. We have Senator David Perdue running against David Ossoff, and then we have Reverend Raphael Warnock uh, going against Kelly Loeffler. Hey, um, Jacob, can you explain to the listeners how important this is for Georgia to um, win the Senate for the Democrats? Okay. And so the important thing about it is I think that people think the presidency is the power, right? And they don't understand that it's really the legislative branch, right? Which is Congress. Congress is the power. They pass the laws. The president's job is to sign laws into power, right? He signs off on it, but he's not really the guy that, aside from executive orders, executive orders are not laws, right? They can be overturned no matter which president comes. Laws are passed by the Congress, right? It goes from the House of Representatives to the Senate and laws are passed. So again, you have laws currently that's been bills that have been 400 bills sitting with Mitch McConnell that he hasn't passed. And that's because the Republicans control the Senate. Simple bills like that nonpartisan bills, Kamala Harris and Tim Cook from South Carolina, the Republican uh, senator, the anti-lynching bill blocked by Mitch McConnell. Simple things like, you know, first responders bills, right, that helps them blocked by Mitch McConnell. There's many bills that are sitting there, 400, because he has the ability to do it because the Republicans control the Senate, right? So it would matter. It wouldn't matter what 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 uh what Joe Biden does at that right. moment if right. he doesn't have a lot more control in the Senate, mm-hmm. because ultimately what you run into is he sends a bill down, uh, he goes to Congress and said, "Hey, I want to, I want to put this particular bill." Right now, he talks about systematic racism. And he turns around, he goes to Nancy Pelosi and says, hey, I want to do something about systematic racism. And they create a bill. And because the Democrats control the House, right, they can pass that bill. Then it goes to the Senate. Mitch McConnell and the Republicans who says there's no such thing as systematic racism can block it. And then Joe Biden would then have to water that bill down to a bill that they think is worth them passing, thus removing things from it or adding things to it, just so the Republicans can pass it. Or he'll have to do it as an executive order. And lo and behold, four years from now, if a, if, a, if a Trump gets elected again, they'll just reverse it. And we'll be back to start again. And so the important thing is, if you get Ossoff and Warnock into place, the Democrats and the Republicans will then have equal amount of people in the Senate. And Kamala Harris, our next VP, the VP of the United States, is the president of the Senate. Yes, yes, yes. And so she will sit there and then she will be the deciding vote on all these laws. She will break the filibuster. And so if you want to see certain laws get through, it's important to get out and get these these two uh, gentlemen elected as senators. Senators have more power than almost anyone in this country, as weird as that sounds, but they do. The president... Uniquely enough, if you look at the history of America, um, the president was really put into place to deal with international affairs more than he was put into place to deal with domestic affairs. Congress really dealt with domestic affairs. The president was really because it was a bunch of different states, right? And they operated with their own kind of presidents called governors. They had their own Congress within their states, which is their state representative. They had their own Supreme Courts, they had their own police force, they had their own you know, military force. But 
they did not know how to deal with national, international issues. Like, how, who's going to deal with us? Who's going to deal with London, with England? Who's going to deal with France? Who's going to deal with Germany? And who's going to deal with all this stuff international for us? We need to nominate a national guy in place that makes who can handle sense. that stuff for us. That's how it originally started. Wow. And so the, as, as time went by, the president became more and more empowered. But at the beginning, they just wanted him to deal with, like, how much are we going to sell our cotton to, to Australia for? Who's going to talk to Australia for us? We can't have 50 governors. Right. Right? So we have to nominate two senators per state. We have to nominate people from within the districts in America to go to a federal house and we got to nominate someone on top of them and then they can handle the guys on uh, the, the senators and the house of representatives which created the congress can handle national issues for us and then the president can handle international issues like if we decide to go to war outside the president can do that right internally we can handle it right so that's how it really started and as time went by the federalists which is people that wanted federal power to control more put the president into more and more and more and more power within the state right within the country here. So always understand that senators have a shit ton of power, right? Mm-hmm. And we have to make sure, and, and the way the, the map is set up, it's two senators per state. It doesn't matter if you're California with 60 million people or you're North Dakota with 900,000. It's two senators per state. And if you notice, there's more red states than there are blue states. So it's very interesting how that senator thing works. And senators can stop everything. They, they, they're responsible for nominating Supreme Court justices. They're involved in passing laws. And if they can block you, it doesn't matter what Joe Biden tries to do. He'll have to use the executive power or he has to water down that bill, right, to stuff you don't like, like the crime bill of 1994, where he had to water the bill down as a senator so that to get the Republican support and you get three strikes and you're out. And then you get this mass incarceration. Everybody gets mad at him. And he's like, well, I can't pass it through the Senate without involving them because we didn't control the Senate. Right. And so they put things in and we put things in. And you get bills that don't turn out the way you want it to, but you try to get the best of both worlds to get the Republican to sign off. So it's important to understand that we can't put a president in place and not help him with backing him up with the Senate so that the VP can sit there And as the president of the Senate, she can help to move things the way we need to move them. Now, this election, people came out in record numbers, whether it was mail-in ballots, in-person, voting early, whatever the case was. I also feel like there was a big celebrity push in this year's 2020 election. Do you think that, uh, that this celebrity influence had a lot to do with the younger people getting out and voting? And not only that, oh, and, and to piggyback off of that, Sue, what do you think about all the people who endorse Trump, the rappers and stuff who endorse Trump? And with cancel culture now these days, do you feel like these people will be canceled? I don't think that we should cancel people because they vote for Trump. Ignorance is bliss, right? Some people just are ignorant. They don't understand. They don't have the ability sometimes to make decisive, divisive, uh, or, or decisive decisions. That like, oh, look at the people that voted for Trump. Right? It's why did they vote for Trump? Right? Little Wayne says, "Oh, I'm not with Black Lives Matter because a white cop saved my life when I was young." Cops is not a is not a race of people. Right. So that statement alone should make us understand where he stands. Right. He doesn't have the capability to really see it through. Um, do I think the celebrities made a difference? I think no. 
I think they played their part like they played their part in most. I think that people got engaged through hashtags like Black Lives Matter. I think to defund the police. I think young people did a very good job on TikTok. They were able to get informed, see videos. I think text George, messages. Yeah, I think George Floyd played a big part in it. I think Breonna Taylor played a big part. I think Amatua Arpin played a big part in it. I think people were able to visually see, right, those things. And you saw a swell from there. I think celebrities, I think there's a, I think we definitely have to correct things within the black community because in the 60s, the 50s, the 40s, celebrities were not the answer to our political figures. We had leaders, we had political leaders, we had activists that spoke, we had people that spoke and celebrities felt they needed those people's validation, right? So celebrities joined them. Now you have people that are activists that need celebrity validation. Mm. Right. And they and had I the church that, a lot back in that time. Yes. They, of course, the churches played, you know, the Senate, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Muslim uh, 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 mosque, everybody. But ultimately, you had Black Panther had leaders. You had MLK. You had Byron Rustin. You had a, a, a Philip Ed Randolph. You had Nobu Ali. You had Malcolm X. You had and then you had all these leaders that weren't quite. They were in their, their own. They were their own celebrities, but they were activists. And activism was actually cool back then, right? As part of the 50s and 60s counterculture, people wanted to say I was an activist, right? In, in 2020, people don't care to say I'm an activist. It sounds better to say I'm a rapper. Damn it, I'm better to say I'm a swiper than it is to be I'm an activist, right? And so people, we have to, we have to really begin to put power back in activism and understand that we can revere people like Tamika Mallory, who's an activist, yes. right? Who's out here every day, in, 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 in Louisville, Kentucky, on the streets, fighting the battles. And she doesn't, she doesn't make this, she ain't, she's not a millionaire. Mm. She's someone that's dedicated her life to changing the narrative around what's happening to brown people in this country. And we need to, and we need to endear her, right? In a category differently than we endear Ice Cube or 50 Cent or Lil Wayne. We can enjoy their content. We can enjoy yeah. their, uh, their, mov- their movie. We can enjoy... You know, their concerts, we don't have to agree with their political views and we don't have to follow their political views because they haven't dedicated their lives to this stuff. So it's not shut up and dribble as much as it is. I take what you say, but I I would rather listen to Tanika Maori, who actually is doing this every day. Yes. Right. And she's not a politician. Right. She's an activist. Right. And we should look, it's like, you know, you, you know, so you can come to me and say, I can say, man, my stomach, you say, Jacob, you got gas. But I'm gonna say, well, okay, so I'm not disrespecting you. I'm gonna say, all right, cool. But I'm gonna ask my doctor. For sure. And my doctor's gonna say, no, no, you have something more. And I'm gonna say, Sue, mm-hmm. I have something more. And I'm not gonna say, me and you ain't friends no more because you gave me your opinion. Right. So we should look at Lil Wayne as his opinion, right? 50 Cent of his opinion. Because 50 Cent spoke about a 62% tax rate that does not exist. Right. But that just tells me that he's not informed. And then you got some people like that's a dangerous game to be in. That's a he's not informed, and so I don't get offended by him. The only offense I'm gonna tell you, the only offense I took is that you are black men, and you publicly went against a black woman for this walking hickey. It just like at some point that it should be enough to just be like I ain't voting for nobody. If you don't agree with the Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris is on this ticket. If you don't agree with it, just abstain. But you can't publicly go against a black woman 
it, it, we don't get enough of that. Right. Right. And so for me, that's the only personal thing that offended me about it, that they didn't even take that recourse. Because a lot of black men just abstained. And you can see it in the numbers. Like, I'd just rather not vote for anybody. I don't agree with her, but I ain't going to vote for him. I would have accepted that more than I would have accepted them going up there and publicly saying, I'm with this walking hickey named Trump. Mm. What you think about a Kanye West whose first time voting was this year and he voted for himself? At the end of the day, this is his first time voting as a 42-year-old man in America. And all that stuff he talked about under George Bush not liking black people, but yet he didn't do anything to change that. Right. Another thing, you know, but, but you got to look at Kanye and the microchasm as Kanye. Like, I, you know, he's, you know, I know him, he's, you know, whatever it is, but he has a lot of issues that, you know, a lot, some of this with black men have something to do with feeling emasculated, feeling like they're being left behind in the messaging, you know, in America. Um, and it's a whole nother subject there when you deal with America, black men versus black women in America. And, you know, a lot of my friends on the campaign told me, don't split here yet, Jacob. But I told them we're going to see a big decline in black male votes because they feel like the message and it's not speaking to them. And as you started seeing was they were peeling off little by little. And it would have been more. If the election was next year, you would have seen more and more black men. And that's when they off. put niggas out of jail because that's that's who they were talking to. Yeah, they, it, 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 Trump's message seemed like it spoke to black men. It was right. it was it was somewhat anti cancel culture, mm-hmm. anti anything that seemed like it was emasculating men. He seemed like he was a strong man. He was talking down to women. He was fighting away the, you know, and a lot of black men feel like they're being emasculated. They feel like, you know, I heard black men say, Joe Biden spoke to Cardi B. Why isn't he talking to Ice Cube? You know, it's 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 splitting hairs. But there's a history of black men being ignored by America more than anybody else. And so the messaging around that is what's causing black men to feel like, okay, I'm going to be anti the Kamala Harris and Joe Biden ticket because it sounds like they're going to lift black women and they're going to ignore us. But still, no matter what, you don't go against a black woman for that walking puss. It's, to me, that's just not acceptable in America for me. I would have rather, because again, I'm going to tell you something really crazy. I was a Republican most of my life. I voted for Obama because he was black. Mm. Point blank, period. Okay. But I could not bring myself to vote against the, the first black president. I just couldn't. I was well, 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 I was very happy with what he did. But I couldn't bring myself to vote against the first black president. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. People say, well, why don't y'all, you know, black people, why don't y'all vote based on merit? When in the history of America has anything been about merit? I'm telling you. I'm waiting. I'm telling you. When has it been about merit? The people it's that have people. merit when? and character when have has white people done this? For finish last. When have white people ever done anything in America by wearing? I walk in there, I can't even get a cab in New York because of my skin tone. I can't, you know, there's things that I can't get away with because of my skin tone. America has never done things on merit, but yet now they want us to do things on merit. No, I'm going to vote for him because he's black. I'm going to vote for Kamala Harris because she's black. I'm going to do what you do. And so at the end of the day, I, you know, for me, it, the, the voting for Barack Obama and watching the Republican Party and watching what they did made me go, hmm, okay. Black people are 14% of this country, 12% to 14% of this country. When you look at the the, the Democratic caucus, right, you look at the House of Representatives, which is supposed to be voted from within the people, there's about 55 people, which represents about 12% of this country to 14% of this country. So we are truly represented Mm. in the Democratic Party when it comes to Congress. 
we're not represented anywhere when it comes to the Senate because that's just a that's a that's a statewide thing as opposed to a district thing. And so we have to we, we're dealing with majority black states. I mean, white states, so it's difficult to move black people into senatorial job, which we got to do a better job at. But when I sit back and look at what the Democratic Party has done in the last 50, 40 years when it comes to black people being in positions of power, right, electing black officials, I had to say to myself, 7,000 Democratic officials, 300 Republican officials. Now, fuck y'all, Republicans. Y'all are not doing anything to help us be in a position to change the narrative in this country for us as black people. So I caucus with the Democratic Party because I'm not that I agree with everything they do, not that I disagree with everything the Republicans do, but I, we're not gonna change systematic racism. We're not gonna change apartheid. We're not gonna change you know, economic racism. We're not gonna change any of that stuff unless we're in a position to change those laws. And I look at the Democratic Party and I said, they seem to be letting us get in there. Right. And the Republicans aren't. Now, you're going to throw a lot of people off with that, you know, I was Republican most of my life situation, Jacob. I think mm -hmm. the question is going to be. Wait, wait, one second. So we're going to come right back with more Jacob Yoga after this. We'll be right back with more of the Baller Alert Show. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're gonna love listening to it and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances and the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Baller Alert Show. Baller Nation, we are back with Jacob York. We are talking about the election on this special edition of the Baller Alert Show. Sue, you had a question? 
Now, Jacob revealed that he was a Republican for most of his life. And I think that's going to throw some people off a little bit, okay? Because for you to make a comment now saying that you feel that the Democratic Party is allowing us to, you know, get in and, and, and put us in positions that will allow us to make changes, did you feel that way about the Republican Party the whole time you were supporting No, um, you. I mean, most kids vote based on their parents. Mm-hmm. And my dad was a Republican. Wow. Right? Your and so interestingly enough, <laughs> yes, he was a Republican and still is. He's actually, his his followers are the ones that created the Black for Trump website. So he's still wow. a Republican. Well, damn. Right? He's a very unique guy. So you, 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 you get your, mostly, you get your political views from your parents, right? My mother wasn't a Republican. She was pretty much, you know, her own person, right? But my dad was. Right. And so, you know, the things that he showed us, he said, you know, we have to be in a position of power and the Republican Party seems to be in, always in a position of power. And, you know, they were good for our money and they were good for this. They were good for that. And then he sold me on this concept of the original Republican Party who, uh, you know, freed the slaves and the Democrats were not and blah, blah, blah. And I was, you know, I was ignorant. Right. And so at the end of the day, as time went by and I began to learn more and more, I was like, hmm, interesting. This is interesting. That's not interesting. So I began to become more of an independent, right? Where it depends on who it was, I would shift. But I just never saw anyone on the Democratic ticket I could see myself voting for. Okay. Right? And there's a big difference between Republicans and Trumpers, Trump, Trump, Trumpsters, right? Trump's Republican is a completely different Republican Party. And uh, the, the, the Republican Party that, that inherited the Tea Party bothered me because the Tea Party popped up right as soon as a black man was elected. And they claim to be a party about smaller government and low spending, but George Bush spent all this money and they didn't show up around the time he was elected. They waited till Obama was there. And by January, before he even got inaugurated, they were mad at him. And so, it, and when the, when the Republican party said, hey, I'm going to cuff these people and bring them into the party, I took offense to that as a black man. Because mm-hmm. the funny thing is I'm a black man first. Mm-hmm. That's what I am first. Like everything else comes after that. Right. And so at the end of the day, when I saw them, I, I, we obviously knew when they when the Tea Party popped up in 2008, that they were they were a bunch of people that were very unhappy with how tan America was getting and how dark America was getting. And they had a problem with all these, you know, dark kids on TV or in commercials. And they were like, wait, they're going to take again. Y'all will not replace us. Right. They're going to take over this country. And they popped up as soon as a black president. And I, when I saw the Republican Party say, y'all welcome here. I said, oh, no, I can't be a part of this. You're not gonna tell me, you're not gonna tell, I can't be a part, part of a party that's co-signing people that have a problem with the country getting dark or getting browner or us having rights or us becoming president or us you know, moving out of you know, a lower class. I can't be a part of a party that will, will, will adapt these people for power, right? And so for that, I never, I looked at the Republican party and I began to change like a lot of things. Because again, I believe in, you know, you know, a certain conservative values, right? Which benefited, benefits us, right? But then, you know, like, I don't believe in this, this liberal concept of abolishing the electoral votes. Like, I don't believe in that, the electoral college. So I, that's something that the conservatives do not agree with, that I don't agree with either, right? Because I think that's dangerous for black people to abolish Definitely. the electoral colleges, right? Because if we had abolished the electoral colleges three years ago, we would not have been the defi- deciding factor in Joe Biden and Kamala Harris being elected. Right. Because ultimately it would be based on a popular vote. And obviously we're 12 to 14 percent of the population. We can never be the popular vote. 
right? Yeah, so they will ignore us. Attacking us one way or the other. And so I don't agree with the philosophy of abolishing the Electoral College. I think that's a mistake. I think that at that point, presidents wouldn't care if they got the black vote. Mm -hmm. You don't get a you don't get, you know, Trump trying to pass laws or Biden. They don't care about the black vote at that point because we will not change the electorate. Trust me, we made a difference in Detroit. We made a difference by, uh, in, in, in Philadelphia. We made a difference in Georgia in Atlanta. Atlanta came in. Savannah came in. Out. We made a difference. And they, speaking of they Georgia, to talk to us. Speaking of Georgia, we're um, currently doing a recount by hand right now. Here's the thing. Listen, Rastenberg, who is the secretary of state, who would be the one overviewing all of this, right, is a Republican. He said, we will certify the votes first and then we will do a recount. So this is just to appease Trump's ego. That's What's going to happen is we're going to go from 14,600 votes to probably 17,000 votes in favor of Joe Biden. But so, this is just a stall tactic. To, this is this is Trump's stall tactic. They're just babying the baby. That's and December eighth is the deadline to certify all votes in all states. Correct. Yes. Yes. I just want to uh, remind everybody about the runoff election that in Georgia. Uh, and if you're for 18, I'm sorry. If you're 18, 18 by January fifth. But yes, you can still vote. Yes, you mm -hmm. register to vote. Yes, right. The runoff vote. is January 5th. Um, the early voting starts December 14th. Um, GOP incumbent Senator David Perdue is defending his seat against John Ossoff. Uh, Reverend Warnock. Raphael Warnock yep, uh, challenges Kelly Loeffler in the Georgia's special election. Let's finish Trump off. Both of those people are Trumpers. Yeah. Not true Republicans, but they're Trumpers. Right. Let's finish him off by getting rid of Purdue. Let's get rid of uh, no. Kelly. And let's give Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and, the, you know, the legislative branch a chance to see what they're willing to do. Because guess what? If they don't do what we want them to do, there's always 2022, 2022 where we could take them out. Mm -hmm. Right. And replace them. So let's give them a chance to see what they can pull off. Um, and see if we get some of the things we fought for and what we voted for. You know, you're talking about 79 million people voting for uh, for Joe Biden, right? So that's record numbers, right? We wanted change and we wanted a true change from Trumpism. We wanted to see certain things happen. And again, the, the only way to do that is to give the Democrats a chance to at least pass some laws without being obstructed by the Republicans. And, and, and so that's my opinion. And uh, I don't have to agree with every candidate I have, but I, I will look at people and say, this makes sense and this doesn't make sense. And to give a divided government is only going to create gridlock. That's exactly what it should And nothing be. gets done. This has been a very special edition of the Baller Alert Show podcast. Yes. A political Thank edition. Thank you so much. Jacob, let me tell you, I am guilty of, of uh, not educating myself in the way that I should, but I will say that Donald Trump made me wake the fuck up. There's and, I, and I think that's the good thing of him, right? You're, and I think that's the one thing that he did for black people that was in a good light because also, I have never paid attention to politics more than now. Yeah. And also what he did for black people is liberal guilt, right? You know, you totally. walked out, the day after they certified the election, I walked down the street and you had white people going, we did that. Yes. That, right? <laughs> right? And I'm like, thank you. Right? You did that. Right. Right? So, <laughs> great. Whatever it takes, whatever he represented, sometimes you've got to get a monster to understand how good you have it, right? Sometimes you got to... For sure. I think America realized, wait a minute, we didn't really want this, 
right? Even some of his people were probably like, yeah, we don't really want this, right? Because, you know, look at how they voted. They, you know, they voted conservative values. You know, they didn't want extreme left or extreme right, right? They pretty much voted down the middle across the legislative branch and everything. But, you know, and they gave you Joe Biden, who's a centrist Democrat as opposed to a extreme left right. Democrat. And they had to right. get rid of the extreme right Republican, right? And so we have to start, look, you know, to be honest with you, I like the fact that people are educated. Yeah, as you know, me and Robin talk all the time. I'm like a political yeah. consultant to the to the site. And, you know, it's just like I, the engagement that everybody has in the election is the best thing that can possibly happen because now we will see the power of our votes and the power of our engagement and why it matters so much for us to be yes. so involved. And right? that's why I tell people, don't, if somebody ever says their vote doesn't matter, rewind the tape of 2020. <laughs> Run the tape. Because trust me, <laughs> The black vote decided this goddamn election. Absolutely. 110%. Yes. And no one's hidden that. Like, the Republicans are not saying it's not. The Democrats are not. They're like, okay. And I'm sure the Republicans are going to wake up and say, we got to do something with black people. So the lies of the last 100 years that your vote don't count, don't, don't vote, your vote don't count, that's changed now. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's changed now. The, you know, what did Joe Biden say in his exception uh, speech? To the African Americans, I got y'all. Y'all had me. Like, hello. That? Like, I got, Come on with it. That man had like, I got y'all. To the point where it's making other constituencies a little jealous, right? They're like, we did something too. They're like, Joe Biden's like, I got y'all. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the importance of elections ending based on elections deciding on Atlanta, Philly, you know what I'm saying? Right. Detroit. Detroit. That's the deciding factor, right? And and that's the that's why we worked so hard over the last four years to get people so engaged, right? Because it was like, if yeah. you get involved, see here's the thing. Politicians only care about people that two people. People that can hire them and people that can fire them. Mm-hmm. So if you don't participate, you don't matter. Right. If you do participate, you can fire and hire whoever you want. And if you hire the right mayor, then they hire the right police chief. They hire the right district attorneys. If you if you vote in the right district attorneys, policies change across how people are criminally, you know, charged. You know, the woman that that went against uh, uh, Amadou Arbery, right? She got voted out, right? That district attorney, right? That Mm -hmm. sided with the guy that murdered Amadou Arbery in Brunswick. She got voted out. So now they're, they're, they're really coming under pressure, right? You start seeing, you know, sheriffs that are picked out for other... Amar Arbery, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I, mm-hmm. I'm a to Diallo it's, and Amar Arbery. I got you. I, I was in, I was in New York for Amar Diallo and it was bugging me out. I'm it's all good. Him. I'm, uh, uh, so, Amar Arbery. So, at the end of the day, when you look at that, that's something that matters because now you have a district attorney in there mm-hmm. that's going to really try somebody and not give him haven because he used to work for her. Right. Right. We have to be very clear and concise about understanding there will be no change if we don't activate and fire and hire these people. 100%. And that's that's just it. Jacob York, everybody, we appreciate you for stopping by the Ball Alert Show. We look forward to seeing you and you educating us once again, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, everybody. Can't get enough of Baller Alert? Follow us on all social media platforms at Baller Alert or log on to BallerAlert.com.